0: testing one two three testing one two three i hear myself but i don't hear myself am i on praise god hallelujah amen it looks like i'm coming up and up and up and up good morning everybody how are you all doing today we want to welcome every one of you to these services coming to you from lawrenceville world Outreach church for all nations And for those of you watching by streaming, we welcome you as well, thank God for you joining us. And again, we are looking forward to be able to have you in our presence so we can hug you, love you, and so we can just enjoy the fellowship of God together in his sanctuary. Because the Bible says we should not forget the assemblies of ourselves together as we see the days of the Lord coming there. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Again, we thank God for all of you this morning, and we just bless God for what he's doing. Yes, God is doing some great things. He's going to continue to do great things. And this morning, I'm continuing on the message that I began a couple of weeks ago, looking back looking up and looking forward and so this morning i'm going to give the uh final message on looking back and then from next week we're going to look up and thereafter looking forward just to give you an idea of where we're going amen and so last sunday we broke it down further by explaining to us where we think i mean we the the giving you, giving you a a strategic scope of the entire ministry so through the SWOT analysis. SWOT standing for S W O T, S for strength, W for weakness, O for opportunities, and T for threats. And if you were here with us on Friday night, if you had any misgiving concerning this SWOT, S W O T, it became clearer. Amen. We prayed over it and we defined it even further because we had a little more time. And uh, Pastor Larry did a great job in helping us understand how that applies not just to us as a ministry, but all of us as individuals. And for those of you who are not here, I just want to encourage you this morning as you leave this sanctuary, we have a blank template that describes this what, So you can take it home and actually sit down and write out what your strengths are. Your God endowments, the things that God has given you, that's making you, that makes you unique. Write down your weaknesses. All of us have weaknesses. In fact, I was amazed on last Sunday when we made the call that just one family came up when we talk about weakness. Everybody has a weakness. Just truly, I have mine. In fact, in this service, I told you. I told you about my weakness. And so we need to understand the God narrative versus our cultural and personal narratives about life. Because in your personal life, when you hear weakness, for some reason, ah, this is bad, hey, weak. (laughs) If anybody knows I'm weak. No. Paul said he would rather boast about his infirmities, meaning weaknesses. Why? Because he recognizes that it is in coming clean with his weaknesses that the grace of God is perfected in that area of his life and thereby stronger. If I cannot admit that I have a weakness, what's God's business in trying to fix it? I've said it and I'll continue to say it. I will know when the grace message actually takes hold. When you and I have the confidence like the man in John chapter nine to say, I was was blind, but now I can see. That's when I know, it's not just this lip service, grace, 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 no, no, no. Grace sets you free. Grace allows you to live in the trueness of your identity in Christ. And recognizing that your significance has nothing to do by your natural endowments, your intellects, where you went to school, where you were born, what you've accomplished, nothing. Nothing. Paul said, I want to know nothing about you in the flesh except that Christ crucified. Amen. So don't be ashamed of your weakness. We all have it, number one. Number two, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 tells us it gives strength to the weak. So if you are not weak, you don't need strength. But the amazing thing about that is everybody around you knows you are weak. So you are a massive deception. Amen. He gives strength to the weak. He didn't condemn the weak. God acknowledges his and says, I give strength to it. Amen? Amen? So the strengths, our endowments, the weaknesses, the things that we are struggling with that hinders our progress, the opportunities, what God has made available through his kingdom that's available to you that you can take advantage of, capitalize on, and get to the next level and beyond. And of course, threats. Threats are very critical. Things that if you don't address, don't deal with, will literally stop you, amen? But even with that, God gives us the power to overcome all those things. He says that no weapons that's formed or fashioned against us shall prosper. When the enemy comes in like a flood, he says the Holy Spirit will raise up his standard against it. So we have everything covered. It's just a matter of me and you engaging in the process So we can know because you need to be definitive about who you are, what your strengths are, what are the hindrances in your life, or even your family. Husband and wife should sit down and do it. Business owners should do it. We as a ministry have done it. So now this morning, let me just go to 2 Kings chapter 7. Moving up, moving on in this message. 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 to 5 in the NKJV and in verses 8 and 9. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? What a conversation. If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die." Look at the way they said it. They've, they've looked at their situation and they say, listen, if we remain here, you need to qualify that properly. If we stay where we are, it's certain death. If you go into the city, it's possible death. Oh, no, no, there's a huge difference. Huge. Huge. If we go to the camp of the Syrians, if they have mercy on us, we leave. But if they don't have mercy on us, what happens? We shall only die because they've already looked at their situation, death, 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 death. So listen, rather than just sit down here and know, This is certain death. We go to the city, "Mm, possible death. The camp of the Syrians is the only thing that gives us an opportunity. It is risky, it is uncertain, but at least it gives a glimmer of hope or opportunity that if they have mercy on us, we'll be alive. But if they choose to kill us, it is what will have happened if we stayed or not stayed. That is, so we only die. Keep that in mind. That is very, very important. And I'm saying that to us this morning because many of us are looking at our situation. You are looking at yourself, at your family, at your business, at the ministry, and you are taking account. This is December, December, but in a few days we get into a new year, 2022. So the issue is, are you going to carry over into the new year the liabilities and the weaknesses and the threats that have dogged you all these years? Are you going to just have a crossover service, shouting, praising, nothing changing? That's the point. And I'm hopeful that God will help every single one of us and the ministry to take full account of where we are and the changes that God will want to bring into our lives. Now, in July of 1988, true story, a disastrous explosion and fire occurred on the Piper Alpha oil drilling platform in the North Sea off the coast of Scotland. True story. 163 crew members and rescuers lost their lives, making it the worst catastrophe in the history of the North Sea oil exploration. I'm sure Brother Uwem and Brother Charles have an idea of what this drilling platform will look like because they worked in those conditions. Thank you, Jesus. That's what they just said. <laughs> One of the few who survived that catastrophe explosion is a man named Andy Moken. He was a superintendent on the rig. From the hospital, he told of being awakened by the explosion. With fire all around him, he made it to the ledge where 15 stories beneath was oil and fire and twister steel littered all on the water. He made a decision. The decision was to jump. So when he was asked by reporters why he jumped, he said something very, very simple. He said it was either fry or jump. I'm not sure that you guys are getting the story. His oil rig is on fire because of an explosion. He's on that rig. He was awakened by the explosion created by the, uh, by by, by what had happened. He woke up, ran, looked down the edge of the rig, And all he could see is twisted steel, oil burning in the water. And the platform he was standing on was also on fire. What would you do? What would you do? True story, in 1988, this happened. So he decided to jump. Now, was jumping a guarantee that he would be saved? No. No like the four lepers he was faced with sudden death or possible death mm. of which he needed to make a quick decision because time was going to be of the essence now last week uh, i gave you the state of the ministry at fine based on the SWOT analysis that we undertook in January of 2020. Let me go to Isaiah chapter 32 in a message translation. Isaiah 32 from verses 9 through 15 from the message translation, if you can get it for me. Amen. Isaiah 32 verses 9 through 15 in the message. Thank you very much. Take your stand. Woman. By the way, this is not, a, this is not an attack on women. Let me just make sure you understand that. Women, particularly in the Old Testament, is a reference to the church. It's just a metaphor. So I don't want anybody to leave you and say, ah, God was cursing women out in church. No, that's not true. That's not true. Take your stand, indolent woman. Listen to me, indulgent, indolent woman. Listen closely to what I have to say. On, go on. In just a little over a year from now, you'll be shaking off your lazy lives. The grape harvest will fail and there'll be no fruit on the trees. Oh, tremble, you indolent woman. Get serious, you pampered dogs. Strip down and discard your silk fineries. Put on funeral clothes. Shed honest tears for the lost harvest. For the lost harvest. The feel vintage. We, know, we don't like to read passages like this in church. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Even for me reading it, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's tough. But, but we just need to make the point. Verse 13, verse 13. We from my people's gardens and farms that grow nothing but thistles and thumb bushes, cry tears, real tears, for the happier homes no longer happy, the merry city no longer merry. Verse 14, the royal palace is deserted, the Boston city quiet as a morgue, the emptied parks and the playgrounds taken over by wild animals, delighted with their new home. Verse 15. Yes, weep and grieve until the spirit is poured down on us from above and the badlands desert grows crops and the fatter fields Become forest. So verse fifteen offers a glimmer of hope, but for that hope to manifest, there must be changes. There must that must be changes, folks. We are at a crossroad where we have to make godly choices. From the way I see things around here, and again, remember from last week, I said I, I talked to the church and I brought it to you as an individual. Okay? We have two choices to make at work fine. And by extension, yourselves. Two choices. Choice number one, we can keep marking time and becoming irrelevant. That's a choice. Just keep on doing the same old, same old, same old, just church every Sunday, the way we've been doing it for years. Keep on marking time and becoming irrelevant. Or we can choose to change. But I must make it clear to all that the price for non-action is certain failure. The cost of status quo, churchianity, is prohibitively high. Yep. This is a kingdom imperative to change. Yes, <laughs> yeah, this is hard. I wanted us to look back with thanksgiving. The fact that things have happened, things are happening, and God has kept us. We we, we look back with thanksgiving and say, God, we thank you. Things were tough, things were difficult, there were un, unexpected blessings, good things happened, but at the end of the day, Father, we thank you for the past. But should we continue to live in the past? Not asking God upwardly what He wants to see us go in, do in the future. Quickly. Andy, the man who was rescued, jumping from the platform, he did four things that we can learn from. Remember Andy? Andy the man in 1988. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did four things we can learn from. Number one, Andy did not want to jump, but the price was too high not to do so. Who in, the, who in their right mind looks at the 15-story and says, oh, I just want to jump? Come on. No, he did not want to jump, but the price to not do so, was too high, he faced possible death or certain death. And so you and I must resolve to face the risk and the uncertainty of major change until the price gets too high not to undertake change. Jack, uh, no, sometimes we were too late to jump into the sea of change. And when that happens, it's too late. Jack Welsh, the former uh, CEO of uh, GE, this is what he said Change before you have to. Change before you have to. Because by the time you have to, the pressure and the stakes are too high. So the first thing I did was, in spite of his unwillingness to want to jump, he jumped anyhow because the price was too high not to do so. Number two, number two thing we can learn from Andy. In order for Andy to jump into safety, he stripped off his shoes and his clothes. He knew that he had to limit resistance and jettison excess weight in order to jump safely into the water. Wow. I understand that very, very well having dealt and lived and been around airplanes for so long. I don't know if you have ever been on a flight. Well, first of all, there's certain things you need to know about airplanes. There is what you call the takeoff weight, which is always different from the landing weight. When the plane is taking off, when it needs to take off, my friend John is here, he's, he's listening to me, Delta airline employee, so he can correct me and send me a text, I write a message, Pastor, you've missed it there. <laughs> when the plane is loading, you put passengers, you put cargo, you put fuel, and fuel is always measured by pounds, not like when you fill up your car. There's a the reason for that. When you put fuel in an aircraft, they don't say, I'm going to put 1,000 gallons. No, no, no. Captain don't want to know that. He wants to know how many pounds of oil do I have on board? Why? He has to calculate the total weight of the aircraft in order to take off. There was a crash in Cote d'Ivoire years ago. Why? They messed up the takeoff weight. Your cousins (laughs) put excess luggage on the aircraft that they calculated wrong weight and gave wrong weight to the the captain. So the captain took the weight it was given, used that to calculate his proper takeoff weight and the uh, center of gravity of the aircraft to take off, it was wrong. He taxed it, taxed it, taxed it, the plane never left the ground. Just barely took off and crashed. True story. Kenya Airways, by the way. True story. So there is a, always a difference between takeoff weight and landing weight. Why? Because takeoff weight takes into consideration everything, passengers, luggage, freight, and the weight of the fuel. But landing weight assumes that if a flight is going to be in airborne for two hours or four hours, it will have burned certain amount of fuel. The plane will have burned. Fuel so when it lands, it's lighter than when it took off. However, if there was ever an emergency when the plane takes off, no matter how bad it is, the captain cannot land immediately, even though things are happening, he cannot bring it down. You know why? Too, it's too heavy. It's too heavy. He has to circle around. A point is a foil intakes and jetting fuel, foil, dumping fuel. You may have been passing, maybe you're walking in the park and you feel something in your head. <laughs> uh, uh, and you go home and start smelling like car- kerosene. Like, ah. You're asking your wife, what, what do you do to the lawnmower? What happened? No, some captain was in trouble and they poured foil in your head. <laughs> Seriously, it's the true story. He had to eliminate excess fuel in order to be light enough to safely land. Andy recognized that. And so, he took off his shoes, took off his clothes, so his landing in the water could be better. This speaks to me and you of stripping, transparency, becoming vulnerable. That's what we did last week. We stripped before you. We became vulnerable. We have told you areas of ministry that we have not done well in. Amen? Amen. That's how you do it. You strip yourself. Amen. And beginning to prayerfully work towards determining the areas of excess weight and changes that needs to be made. Number three thing Andy did. Andy entered the water correctly. You do not jump from 15 stories and just attempt to enter the water anyhow. Uh-uh. You are not Michael Phelps. <laughs> you may have been raised in the riverine area and you think you know how to swim. <laughs> you better enter the water correct angle. At the height of 150 feet, Andy would have perished if his angle of entry had been off by only a fraction. How he entered the water made a difference. So for me and you, either personally, either in your family, either in your corporate world, in your business, or as a ministry, how we'll negotiate or initiate change is grossly, important. Very, very important. You don't turn a Royal Caribbean ocean cruiser the way you turn your car. You just don't turn it like that. You do that, the whole ship capsizes. You don't do that. So how you negotiate a change becomes critically important. You have to do it correctly You have to do it considering everything else. Oh, look, let me me take it home. You want to talk to your spouse about some change in your home. What do you need to do? Get the right timing. Use the right right verbiage communication. Make sure conditions are right. You don't do when all the kids are running around, ah, daddy, I want this, mommy, I want that. No. The, The message will be lost. So, 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 when you're talking to your spouse about major change you need to make, you need to make sure you get the attention of both yourselves, use the correct language, make sure there's no other yeah, hindrances that will impede your communication process, and then you don't make the change too quickly. Just truly really here, Sister Swimbo, her company just marched. Well, they didn't just march, they've been marching. Some trust. Became truest. They announced the change two years ago. But even as we speak, the onboarding process is taking place. It's like a while. Pastor Shina, the same thing. His company matched, they acquired another company, and it, it takes months of painstaking, hard work, diligence in the background to make sure that the onboarding process is not aborted, or it is not frustrated. So when you're making personal changes in your life, when you're trying to turn weakness into a strength, when you're trying to eliminate weakness or even a threat, don't be overly anxious. You've lived with this weakness for a long time. (laughs) And as long as Jesus tarries, you will never eliminate all the weaknesses. You're always going to have weakness in your life. So don't put yourself under this undue pressure that you have to see the manifestation now, 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 now. now. All those guys that are selling our prayer. Okay, let me, let me make sure I say it very well. All those prayer contractors that's telling you now, 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 now. You need to be very mindful of that. Be mindful of that because Paul told us, he had a thorn in his flesh. This is the super apostle of God's grace. Poster child for God's grace message. And God said to him, he prayed three times. And God finally had to say, Paul, chill, just chill. My grace is sufficient for you. I wonder how the prayer contactors answered that question. Yeah. So hang in there, that's what I'm saying to you. Hang in there. Fourth thing we can learn from Andy, and I I need to move on quickly. When Andy entered the water, now I wouldn't have thought about this, but Andy did. I guess because his life was really, he he knew how to do things right. When he entered the water, he stayed near the burning debris. Did did you hear what I just said? When he entered the water, he didn't swim away from the debris. He stayed as close as possible to the burning debris. Why? Because the waters were frigid. And he needed the warmth provided by the hot water to keep him warm because he knew he had at least 20 minutes before help arrived. Woo! What does that speak of to me and you? It speaks of the fact that we must manage our expectation where change is concerned. There will be those that will hear of change and say, ah, no, 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 I'm not, no, man, please, forget it, no, no change. They won't buy it. Understand that. Don't criticize them. Don't judge them. They're your brothers your sisters. You share with your wife, your husband, some things you want to change, and they may not get it. The first time, the second time, the third time. No, it doesn't make them an enemy. It just means you need to understand the iron, sharpens iron, get your message better, keep on explaining over and over and over, one day, revelation will come. So we must manage our expectation. Now, many of us would like to see positive changes in our society, in our nation, and definitely in our church take for instance the big elephant in the room race relations yeah. all of us would like to see, to see change we would like to see equity we like to see things flow we like to see us love one another we like to see us just we like to see all of that okay but this is the point I'm making Even though all of us will say we want to see people not judged by the color of their skin, but rather by the context of their character, that's what MLK said. We all say that, that, oh, man, don't judge me by the color of my skin, judge me by the context of my character. Yet, all of us, if truth be told, judge everyone else by the standard we reject oh ladies gentlemen <laughs> the moment your child says they're bringing home somebody to date that's not of your color <laughs> eh? they bring, brought home somebody that's not black like you yeah. you have a problem but even when they are black, what part of the country are they from? <laughs> Who was their mother? Who is their father? On and on, the very thing we are rejecting in other people. What am I saying? How do you change your nation? How do you change your society? How do you change your church? We change by emulating what Mahatma Gandhi said years ago. be the change you want to see in the world very simple before anything can change around us there first must be a change inside us no matter what kind of change we try to bring to a church to a society or to a nation it will only work to the degree that the individuals within that church, within that society, within that nation, changes. That's why Jesus said it best. He said you cannot pour new wine in an old winescan. You destroy it. That's why he did not come to placate the Jews or uh, encourage the Pharisees, said, no, I've got to destroy this old stuff and bring something new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, it's a new creation. New, new, not not patched. He's not patching the old stuff. New creation. Why? Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Yeah. The only way we're going to bring change that's going to be sustainable is that we first change. We have to change. The way we see life has to change. The way we see and embrace the kingdom of God has to change. The way we love one another has to change. The way we love our neighbors has to change. The way we serve one another has to Everything about us has to change. Everything's under scrutiny. The distance between where you are standing right now and where you want to be is measured by the changes we are all willing to make. Oh, my goodness. Somebody should give me a very heavy offering this morning. Some, some of the I'm saying, some of thinks I'm saying is, is serious. I'm, I'm serious. Listen. Listen. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> the distance between where I'm standing and where I want to be can only be measured by the changes I'm willing to make. So all of us together, collectively, corporately, must choose to be the change we want to see at WorkFan. Amen. Amen. Not these nice suggestions, ah, Pastor, you ought to do this. Oh, Pastor, you ought to do that. Oh, these Suggestions? Are you kidding me? You, you know how many suggestions I gave at this, on the sideline when I was watching UGA play Alabama yesterday? <laughs> UGA that's 12 and 0 all season long, killing every opponent. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Lee, where's Lee? Is he here? Oh, he's here. I don't know, man. I don't know if the Falcons jinx got on UGA. I'm not sure what it is. I cannot believe what I was saying. From the sidelines, I'm sending texts to my friends. They need to make adjustment. Did you hear me? I'm, I'm making all this, just like you guys sending me information. Oh, pastor, do this. Pastor, do. I was doing the same thing yesterday. It didn't help. It didn't help. So what I'm saying to us is, listen, listen. We're a family. We're a community. Whatever change we want to see in the house, let's all own it roll your sleeves up and say, God, change me from the inside out Amen. so I can be a blessing to my brothers and my sister in this community. Good change is coming. Amen. Amen. Very good change is coming. Amen. But it's going to take all of us to sustain it. Amen. Now, according to John Maxwell, there are three catalysts for change. Three. Number one, it says people change when they hurt enough that they have to change. Oh, my goodness. In other words, pain sometimes is a good motivation for change. You keep on doing the same business. Every time you do it, you lose money. You lose money. You lose money. After I say, wait a minute. I need to do something else, I need to do something differently. A young man, young girl, you're dating a man, you're dating a woman, on and on after three months, six months, the thing just breaks down. You wonder, okay, is my approach wrong? Am I looking for the wrong people? Failure, pain can be a good motivation for for change. And that's why you don't curse your failures. You don't curse your wilderness. You learn from your failures, you learn from your wilderness, and move on. It is only when, when you have not learned from it that it becomes a failure. No, as long as you're learning, it's still a process. And I told, like I told you last week, your, your life is still an open book. The chapters are still being written. It's not over, only it is over. The enemy may laugh at you now, mock you now, but I'm telling you, in time, you have the last laugh. So the first thing he says people do not change until they've heard enough that they have to change uh i have scripture for this but for sake of time i'll just call it you can read the later. that's first samuel chapter 14 verse 29. jonathan came to discover that his father saul was the issue in israel they call him the troubler of the of the nation Number two things John tells us, John Maxwell. People change when they learn enough that they want to change. Whoo, that's huge. In other words, perception shift when pain tells me, bank, you need to change. Perception comes, I have perception, bank, you need to change. But what John is saying is that is not always enough to accomplish change. No. Okay, how cigarette? You buy a packet of cigarette. What? Surgeon general has determined that this is bad for your health. They see, they know it. They read it, they know cigarette. It will kill you. Lung cancer is coming. It's on its way. Does it stop them? Ah tobacco company are getting richer by the day in spite of all they wanted so they have perception they understand that it can kill them but john takes it a little further people do change when they learn enough that they want one meaning desire for, the first thing is okay pain. i have a perception this is this thing is not good for me but level two is now I have a desire that this thing that's not good for me i want to move away from it Case in point, Abused wives. People that get into abusive relationship, that mind, that joker constantly abuses them. Why do why, why don't they leave? They know that this joker If I don't if I don't leave, after I, this guy might kill me. They call their friends. They tell their mother. They tell their hey, this man. If if I don't get it from this guy, he's gonna kill me one day. They know it. But you have to grow from knowing something to learning, to now understand, hey, wait a minute. If this man kills me, my children are left vulnerable. I'm not able to live out my life. So number one, pain. Number two, you have to learn enough to want to, desire. Again, in First Samuel chapter 23, in verse 17, Jonathan tells David, I know that you are going to be the next king of Israel. In fact, not only do I know it, my father knows it. And I, Jonathan, will be next to you. He had the perception. He understood the plan of God. But his mindset did not change. He did not learn enough to want change. So number one, you have to hurt enough that you. Have to change number two you have to learn enough to want to change and lastly John Maxwell tells us you have to hurt enough people change when they receive enough that they are able to change Ooh, that's the crux of the matter when you receive enough that you are able to change please give me John chapter 1 verse 12 in the Amplified Classic Ooh, my time is zeroed out okay john 1 verse 12 amplified classic people receive enough that they are able to change that's where it has to get to thinking about change wanting to change will really keep you in perpetual torment if you don't get to this point you have to receive enough but to as many as did receive and welcome him he gave authority power privilege right to become the children of god that is to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on His name. Okay, NKJV said like this: "To as many as we receive Him, to them He gave the power to become children of God." Even to those that believe on His name. So, number one, perception. Number two, mindset. I want. I want to change. Number three, enablement. That's what John Maxwell is telling us. Enablement. Three catalyst to change. My perception must be right. My mindset aligning myself with the word of God has to be correct. And number three, the enablement. Look at what it says. To as many as what? Received him. What did he do? He gave him the power, ability to become the children of God even to those who have believed on his name. So believing comes first before the enablement. The mindset, mindset comes and then the enablement follows. Do you understand that? That is powerful. You must really get that. You must have the right perception, correct mindset and the enablement. Please give me five minutes so I can close this message and just be done with this. Now, having said all of this, I want to encourage you. I want you to know we're in God's prophetic timeline. You must understand that. I'm not preaching doom and gloom. I'm giving us a state of the ministry and I'm challenging you to evaluate, assess the state of your own life. In 2 Kings chapter 7, in verses 1 and 2, 2 Kings chapter 7, Verses 1 and 2. What, um, what, what really helped these four lepers to be successful? Was it really just the decision to go to the Syrian army? If you don't see the full context of the story, you might say, ah, they made the right decision. I'm saying this for you to understand, whatever decisions we choose to make here at WorkFan, or in your life, in your family, in your corporation, you cannot think for a moment that you are so wise that you made the right choice and therefore god bless you no no we do not trust in chariots we do not trust in horses but we remember the name of the lord our god any decision or any change that must be made must be made better on prophetic utterance and the sure word of prophecy. Amen. So, in Second Kings chapter one, chapter seven, rather, verse one, watch this. Then Elisha, the prophet, said, "Hear the word of the Lord." Thus says the Lord: Tomorrow, about this time, a sere of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shackle at the gate of Samaria. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. So an officer, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Abba. They didn't put up by there, but that's just my yeah. <laughs> Look, if the Lord will make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with both of your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So when the lepers now came, mind you, when Elisha spoke this word, he was not speaking to the lepers. Elijah, Elijah has released a prophetic word of God into the atmosphere that became the base for any action or change or decision that the lepers made and i'm here to tell you this morning god has already spoken concerning us he said he will never leave us nor forsake us he said i'm building my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it he said my sheep shall hear my voice And the voice of a strange one, they will not follow. So it doesn't matter if you miss it a little, or if you miss it much, as long as you hear his voice, there will be course correction. There's no rejection, but there's a course correction. Hallelujah! Yes, we have a sure word. And the Bible says the testimony of Jesus is is the spirit of prophecy. So just as those lepers were backed by the prophetic utterance of Elisha, we also have a backing. Don't you ever forget that. So because they had a backing, they did what they could do in the natural and God did what only he can do in the super. Give me verse 6, no verse 5, same chapter verse 5. Verse 5, quickly, I need to, yeah. Second Kings 7, 5, and they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. They've dialogued, they've debated, should we go, should we not go, should we go, should we not go? Now, mind you, these guys did not know that something was pushing them. Mm. And what pushed them is pushing us. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) I am talking of the power of the Holy Ghost. You are itching. You don't know why you are itching. Something is moving on you. You don't know why. There is something bigger than us. Something greater than us. Something that's seen the beginning from the end. Hallelujah. They were debating. And finally they said, you know what? If we perish, we perish. Let's go. Yes. It's not certain. But it is faith. Yes. Hallelujah. They rose. And when they had come to the askers of the Syrian camp, To their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord, Lord. in fulfilment of what is said in verse one, (laughs) in fulfilment of His prophetic utterance, the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots. Are you serious? They're hearing the noise. Where is this noise coming from? Is it a jazz festival? No. What is it? Is it the, uh, who's playing now? Is it Beyonce? No. Who else? Is it better music? No. They heard the noise of shadows and the noise of horses. The noise of a great army. I'm saying to you this morning in Jesus name every enemy of your weakness every weakness you have in your life every threat that's come to threaten your life I'm saying to you this morning those enemies they will hear the noise of chariots they will hear the noise of horses they will hear the noise of a great army to the glory of God what the enemy wants to use to upend you God is gonna use it to turn your case around in the name of Jesus he's gonna turn your captivity around to the glory of God. The enemy may wage a war, but that war will become a platform for your progress. It will be a platform for your success. It will be a platform for your, hallelujah, glory. Yes. They said to one another, Luke, the king of Israel has had against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Move on. Verse 7. Verse 7. Verse 7. Therefore they arose and fled. Oh my God. Every enemy of your soul (laughs) in the same manner will arise and flee in the name of Jesus. They will flee, they will not know who's chasing them. They will not know what's chasing them. Because God is fighting your battles. He began a good work in you. He will finish it. He will perfect it in Jesus name. They left the camp intact. When your enemy is fleeing, they won't take your goods with him. No, 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 no. Go and read the story. They will not take your goods. Everything we've lost. In 2021, in 2020, in 2019, in 2018, in 2017, in 2016. You know, everything in your past you've lost. The enemy will leave them in dark. In the name of Jesus, your goods will be preserved. You will plunder the enemy of your soul. In the name of Jesus. They left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. Ha! Look at verse 8. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, one of the first things we're going to do in this change that's coming, we're not just going to sit between the walls. We're going to have to go outside of the camp. Okay, okay, let me leave that alone. They went into one tent and ate and drank. Eh? Uh, They ate and drank. Is this for real? And carried, and went to one tent and ate and drank, and carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and went and hid them. Let's just hide this, just in case. Maybe this is just a dream. And then they came back. I entered an ah, What? what, what um, um, like they must have wiped their eyes. I said, let, let me make sure. Wipe their eyes. I carried some all there also. And when I hid it, last verse, verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. That's what we're going to be saying from next year going out. Yeah. We are not going to hide the goodness of our God, the glory of our God. We are going to be the revealers of his glory. We are going to be showing forth the radiance of our God is so good in our neighborhood, on our jobs, everywhere we go. We will carry with us the glory of this God that we love, that loves us so much. In Jesus' name. Let's just leave it there so we've looked back next Sunday we're going to look up and the day after we're going to start looking forward but I said to you it is well with your soul it is well with your household it is well with your business it is well with your education everything you touch it is well with you God's final word to you is you will succeed you will not fail you will not lack You will be enabled in the name of Jesus. Receive the grace to shine forth in this dark world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. All right. We're going to worship God now through our giving. Let me just pray before we do so. I don't want us to just give. I want us to pray and to receive the grace from God to give to him today supernaturally. Supernaturally. By that I mean giving in such a measure that you have never hitherto been able to do. This is the first week of the last month of 2021. 2021 let us do something differently remember what i said let's become the change we like to see in our church in our society in our nation and in our world we can begin right now i'm gonna pray that god will enable you to give to him stupendously supernaturally now if the truth be told Let me just say this to you. As your father, your pastor, your friend, we really need it. And I'm not saying that from, uh, if we don't do it, we'll die. No, that's not what I mean. All year long, we've carried a deficit because of all the things that's happening around us. But I also believe that God has the resources in this house to wipe off that deficit. He does. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for having blessed us you have, you have blessed us with every spiritual gift in the heavenly places in Christ. You have done so. And so we acknowledge your blessings over us. You've given us jobs that a couple of years ago would have been a wild imagination. You've blessed us with business, businesses that are doing extremely well. You've given us witty inventions. You are helping our children through college without pain on and on and on are your benefits which with you daily us. so we say god thank you we take a silent moment to thank you and so now lord jesus we are trusting you that you will move through us supernaturally like the macedonian church to do what we normally would not have done and we're trusting you for it thank you father for supernatural endowment to give supernaturally cheerfully to the king of kings and the lord of Lords, so that your work will not lack and so that we'll continue to be able to give account of your goodness in the land of the living and so father we thank you for this opportunity we honor you we bless you now and forever in jesus name and everyone said "Amen." amen over to you doc